When I taught my oldest son, Max, to ride his bike without training wheels, I used a very specific and a very proven cognitive way of learning. It's called the head, heart, and hands method. Now this method, it's a proven and transformative, holistic way of learning. Now, before I go on, I do need to be open and honest with you. I also use another very helpful modern day tool. You may have heard of it. We also use YouTube, okay? Before taking off the training wheels, we sat down and watched multiple videos of how to ride a bike without training wheels. I wanted Max to see it. I wanted him to understand it. And we watched how kids, you know, YouTube videos of kids learning to balance on their bike. And then we watched how kids, you know, they would do the initial, uh, the wobble and how they recovered after that initial wobble. We watched how kids navigated from the shift from having training wheels to having no training wheels. I wanted to start by giving Max all the information. I wanted to start with his head. I wanted to begin with knowledge. Here's how riding a bike without training wheels works. And then we moved to something a bit more motivating. I wanted to show Max what this drastic lifestyle change could look like for him. I wanted to move him. I spoke to his heart. We started with the head, but then we moved to the heart. Here's what it looks like in action, Max. Here's what you can do, and here's why you want to do it, my son, Max. As you can tell, I took this pretty seriously. In order to speak to his heart and motivate him, we actually went back to YouTube, and we were watching these professional BMXers take massive jumps and flying down hills and, and watched how they you know, were swerving around these obstacle courses. And I put my hand around Max and I said, you see that, Max? That could be you one day, my son, if you simply took off your training wheels. And so that heart motivation spurred him to action which is represented with our hands. He knew the information in his head, and it motivated him in his heart, and it led him to action. And I'm very proud to announce that shortly after these inspiring YouTube video videos and cognitive training lessons, Max quickly learned how to ride a bike without any training wheels, and now he is riding around the playground like a boss. That's right, yes. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. Today we're going to use this same cognitive transformational way of learning that I used for Max to study our topic today. We're going to use the head, heart, and hands principle to unpack our topic. Now, if you're joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a while, you've joined us in the middle of a series that we're calling Better You, or Better University. In this series, we are going back to school to learn how to be a better you. We've been taking a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1, where the Apostle Peter gives a list of a number of characteristics that Christ's followers must work on. He explains that we have to build upon or, or work out our salvation. Paul explains that we have to build upon or work out our salvation. Remember, we used this chair for the last two weeks. Pastor Simon jumped on the chair. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm not that crazy. But we learned that salvation is like sitting in this chair. Salvation is a free gift that we rest in. We rest in God's love and His grace and His forgiveness. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to pay for our salvation or be good enough for our salvation. We simply rest in what Christ has already done for us. But the Apostle Peter 
And, and Scripture explains that we need to build upon or work out our salvation. There's certain qualities that, that we're still responsible to live out. Well, let's read the passage here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now the topic that we are going to unpack today is love. And now if you're watching this in real time on the day that it has come out, it is Sunday, February 14th, and it is in fact Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's to all you couples out there. Husbands, make sure you go buy some flowers for your wives if you haven't done so already. Now, the question that we're answering today is how to be more loving. That word love that is used in this passage, it's one that we know well here at Broadway Church. It's the Greek word agape. Now, agape is a love that's self-giving. Agape is a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that is given even when it's not reciprocated. Agape is the ancient Greek word for unconditional affection. It refers to the purest love imaginable. Now listen, this is not a I love apples type of love. It's not a I love the Vancouver Canucks type of love, although that could be hard at times. This is a self-giving, sacrificial type of love. This is a I will love even if it costs me everything type of love. So, as we unpack our question today, how to be more loving, I don't want you to be fooled because it sounds, you know, up front as a, like a classic Sunday school question. But let me tell you, the application to this is far from easy. I think you're going to be challenged and even a little caught off guard regarding what this type of love requires of you. So let's go to school. Let's begin with your head. Now, the head represents the information that is obtained from the Bible about love. It's the information that we get from the Bible about love. What does the Bible say about being loving? Now, whether you've gone to church for a long time, or maybe this is your very first time watching, you probably have heard something about the Ten Commandments. Now, in the book of Exodus chapter 20, you can read this story for yourself tonight. Uh, it's a story where Moses received from God two stone tablets, and on these stone tablets were ten commandments. These commandments were given to the Israelite people. You know, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, etc., etc. Now, what you may not know, that as the Israelites became a nation, which was around the same time these Ten Commandments were given to them, this was, by the way, approximately 1300 BC, there were actually hundreds of commandments added to that list. There wasn't just Ten Commandments, God actually added to that list and gave them 613 commandments, or laws as they were referred to. Now I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, why so many commandments and laws? Like, really? Isn't that like a, a bit of overkill? Remember, the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt, and they came out, and, and as they came out of Egypt, they began to form into a nation. Moses and his brother Aaron led them, and now they were forming into a nation. And just like any nation, they needed some kind of law. If you think about it, it's exactly how our society works today. 
In order for our society to function well, we must follow many laws. We have noise curfews, speeding laws, property violations. We have rules about how we can and cannot treat each other. We have laws about what's acceptable in public and what's not acceptable in public. The same way our government has implemented all these laws for our society and for our nation to work well, God implemented these laws for the Israelites in 1300 BC so that that nation can function properly and function orderly. That's why they had 613 commandments. Now, that was 1300 BC. Fast forward all the way to 30 AD. Enter Jesus. Jesus was on the earth at 30 AD and he was a grown man and he was walking and he was teaching in 30 AD. And Jesus was born into this Jewish community. He was born into this society that kept these, not, kept these laws. In fact, Jesus knew these laws well. And here's the interesting part. As Jesus was teaching and preaching, he boils down these 600 plus laws all the way down to two. And here's how it happened. The Gospel of Matthew explains it. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. So an expert in the law, a man that knew all these 613 laws, in fact, he was an expert, came to Jesus and he tested him. He wanted to trick Jesus. He wanted Jesus to fumble on his words. Teacher, this man says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which of these 613 laws is the greatest? He wanted, to, he wanted Jesus to, to answer. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus takes all these 600 plus laws and he boils them down to two. And those two laws both have to do with love. And that word love that Jesus uses in this passage is that same Greek word that I described just a few minutes ago. It's referring to agape love. It's referring to the purest love imaginable. A love that's self-giving. A love that's sacrificial. A love that's given even when it is not reciprocated. Remember, agape is the ancient Greek word for unconditional affection. Jesus is saying, listen, Love God and love others with the purest love imaginable. All the 613 laws all revolve around those two. But Jesus actually wasn't finished yet. He took those two laws that he gave and he narrowed it down to just one. As Jesus was sitting with his disciples, which were his closest friends, he was sitting with them actually just hours before he was going to die. He said to them, he sat them down, and he said, I'm going to boil it down to one command. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you probably know what I'm going to say next. That word love that Jesus uses is in fact agape love. He is referring to the purest or the highest form of love imaginable. Jesus is saying the new rule is this. Love one another with unconditional affection. That is my final command. Now I want you to see how important and how significant this is. 
Our topic today is how to be more loving. And don't worry, we're going to get very practical in a few moments here. But according to Jesus, loving one another or being more loving is the most important command. It's the most important one. It's the one command that he leaves his followers. Think about it. Out of all the commands that he could have left, he left this one. Love one another. And so you need to know in your head that as a Christ follower, to love others is not a suggestion. It's a command. To love others, it is not a suggestion. It is a command. It is a must in Jesus' mind. But that head knowledge needs to impact you on a deeper level. It needs to impact you at your core. A change needs to happen inside your heart. The heart represents the information leading to motivation. The heart represents the information leading to motivation. You actually need to believe it. It actually needs to move you. It needs to motivate you. Now, in order to help this information go from your head to your heart, I want to show you what this looked like in the life of Jesus. I want the life of Jesus to be the example that you and I follow. You see, not only did Jesus preach this, not only did he tell others to love, but he lived it. He actually embodied it. Jesus' life exemplified what it means to unconditionally love people. Because of his incredible love for others, Jesus healed many people. He miraculously fed many, many people. He spent time with the outcasts. He accepted and cared for the sinners. Jesus lived his life to love people, especially those who were unlovable. But there was one moment in Jesus' life that really surprises me. It's actually one of the last moments of his life. He, Jesus had been unfairly convicted and was actually in the process of receiving the death penalty. And after his conviction, he was brutally whipped by soldiers, a whipping so bad that near, he was nearly left to die there. As he walked with the, his bloodied body up to the hill where he was going to be crucified, he was mocked and he was ridiculed over and over and over again. Then he was placed on a cross and nailed to it and left there hanging for hours until, until eventually his lungs were going to collapse and he was going to die. The moment that really surprises me happened when Jesus was hanging unfairly on the cross in total agony and total pain. While on the cross, do you know what Jesus said? He was hanging there and he looked down to the crowd, to those who just beat him and mocked him and betrayed him. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He looked down at those people and he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He did not look down in anger, as I probably would, and say, one day I will get my revenge. He did not look down in disbelief and say, I cannot believe what these people are doing. He did not look down in disappointment and say, they should know better. He looked down with unconditional love. His heart broke for these people, and Jesus actually prayed for the forgiveness of his murderers. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had every right to be mad, frustrated, or at the very least, upset. But he was none of those things. In the most difficult moments of his life, and to the ones who were about to murder him, 
he chose to love. In the most difficult moment of his life, and to the ones who were about to murder him, he chose to love. Jesus chose to love even though he was innocent and they were not. He chose to love even though they did not deserve his love. He chose to love even though it cost him. You might be thinking, well, Lewis, what did it cost Jesus? Well, it cost Jesus the ability to get back at these people. It cost Jesus a chance at revenge. It cost him the opportunity to prove that they were wrong. It cost Jesus the satisfaction of knowing that these people actually deserved his love. But this, my friends, is agape love. This is what undeserved and unconditional affection looks like. The life of Jesus serves as an example of what agape love looks like. Jesus chose to unconditionally love others, even while dying on the cross. So do you want to be more loving? Do you want to know how to live this out in your daily life? Follow the example of Jesus. Love like Jesus loved. Choose to unconditionally love others just like Jesus did. Now, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of a time in my life where someone many years ago said something incredibly damaging to me. And I remember I held on to that word for a long time. I held on to that anger for a long time. And as I reflected on this situation, I realized that it was because I, I held on to this bitterness and I held on to this frustration it, because I wanted some sort of revenge. I wanted somehow, in some way, to get back at this person. And so I held on to my anger and pain and my hurt for many years, and it was destructive for me. It was destructive for my heart. Can you think of times in your life when you chose bitterness, anger, hate, jealousy, or unforgiveness over unconditional love? Isn't it so much easier to choose those things, especially in the, in the short term, and hold on to those negative feelings rather than to choose love? I know it was for me. It still is for me at times. Because to choose to love will cost you. It is incredibly difficult to undeservedly and unconditionally love like Jesus did. It's incredibly difficult because it goes against everything that you and I want to do. And that leads me to the hands portion of this exercise. The hands represent the actions that accompany this information. The hands are the actions that accompany the information. Now, it's important to have head knowledge, to know biblically that love is important. In fact, we learn that as Christ followers, love is not only important, it's essential. It's commanded for us. But that knowledge needs to get deep inside your heart. It needs to motivate you. And we see this agape love working out in the life of Jesus. We see what it looks like as we study the life of Jesus while he was here on the earth. But again, that needs to impact you on a deeper level. It needs to move you. It needs to spur you to action. And that action is to show agape, unconditional love to all people all the time. That action is to show unconditional love to all people all the time. To show people a love that is self-giving. 
to show them a love that's sacrificing, to show a love that is given even when it is not reciprocated, because that is how Jesus loved. So how do I begin to do this? How do I begin to love like Jesus loved? How do I live this out in my life? Well, in order to love like Jesus loved, you need to embrace some of the characteristics that Jesus embodied. In his letter to the ancient church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul challenges the church to imitate Jesus, which, by the way, is exactly what I'm challenging you today. Paul's saying 2,000 years ago, imitate Jesus. And in that letter, he describes some of the characteristics that Jesus embodied that we must imitate. He challenges them to imitate Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't flaunt the fact that he was God for his own good, or, you know, he, he didn't flaunt that fact around. In fact, he humbled himself and took on human flesh. Not only that, but when he took on human flesh, he came to the earth, and he didn't live as a king or some high-up person, you know, the, the high-up official. No, he came and he lived a life of a servant. Paul explains that Jesus is God who came down to earth and took on flesh and humbly served. And Paul says, you need to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And he explains what that mindset is. I'm going to read it here. And as I read these words, I want you to carefully think about these words. If you're reading in your Bible, highlight some of the words that jump out to you. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, vain conceit literally means excessive pride. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or excessive pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you want to be more loving? Do you want to know practically how to live this out? Do nothing. Everyone say nothing with me at home. I know you're sitting on the couch. Say nothing. Good. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Nothing. Think about how many times you're tempted to lie about the numbers to show how good you are at work. To edge out your coworker for the end of the year raise. You selfishly throw people under the bus for a 1.5% raise. It's crazy. Think about how many times you've pridefully gossiped about someone or spoken poorly about your boss in order to make yourself feel better. It is hard not to be prideful or selfish. Think about at home how many times you selfishly dump tasks on your spouse because you simply don't want to do them. Think of how many times you've pridefully put your own needs first as, a putting, as opposed to putting your friends first or your coworkers' needs first or your family's needs first. Do you want to love like Jesus loved? Do you want to know how to be more loving? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or pride. Now this does not mean do nothing for yourself. Taking care of your health, your body, and your mind not only is important, but necessary. But there's a line that you cross when you become self-seeking and self-promoting and self-oriented because that is selfish. So how do I become more loving? Do not be selfish. Do not be prideful. Rather, 
in humility. If you're following along in your Bible, underline that word humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking that you are nothing. It's not thinking less of yourself. Rather, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Paul's saying, listen, be like Jesus. Think of yourself less and value others above yourself. Don't look first to your own interest. Look first to the interests and the needs of others. As we lift this out in our daily lives, our goal should be to make others feel good, look good, and sound good. But let me tell you, that is so hard. Because all day, every day, I want to feel good. And I want to look good. And I want to sound good. I want to quickly give you a very practical tool. It's actually a phrase that you can use to accomplish this goal. Or to at least start on this goal. Ready? Here it is. You can write it down. How can I serve you? Use that line in your everyday life. How can I serve you? When you're speaking to your spouse, you say, how can I serve you, honey? When you're speaking to your coworkers, how can I serve you? When you're speaking to your boss, how can I serve you? When you're speaking to your neighbors, how can I serve you? Have this attitude and literally use the words, how can I serve you? It will change something within you. There's something humbling about that phrase, and there's something empowering about that phrase. How can I serve you? When you do that, in a way, you're thinking of yourself less, and you're thinking of others more. So that's my challenge to you. Practically, a practical challenge, use the phrase, how can I serve you? So, you want to be more loving? In all that you do, put the needs and interests of others above your own. And this is incredibly difficult because it starkly opposes what our culture teaches. It starkly opposes our sinful and prideful natures. This will not be natural for you. It will not feel good initially for you. Putting others first and being others focused is a drastic and intentional lifestyle change. So, Are you willing to make that change? Are you willing? Today's big idea will actually serve as a challenge to all who want to make that change. It's going to be a challenge to all who want to love like Jesus loved. In order to love like Jesus loved, in order to be more loving, your challenge is to selflessly and sacrificially humble yourself in service to others selflessly and sacrificially humble yourself in service to others. What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your friendships or your work life or your marriage life or your parenting? What does it look like for you to selflessly and sacrificially serve others? Let me ask you a different question. In what areas are you self-seeking? In what areas do you need to think of yourself less? I have to admit that after reading that big idea and trying to think about ways that I could apply this to my life, it seems like a bit of a daunting task. It seems, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. It actually seems a bit unfair if I were to be honest with you. And as I close, I want to speak to that for a moment. 
Expressing God's unconditional agape love is what you were created to do. I'm going to say that again. Expressing God's unconditional agape love is what you were created to do. God has created you to love and serve people. He's wired you to express selfless love to those around you. I remember when Max first got his bike with the training wheels on it. He was riding around the playground. He thought that he had arrived. He's like, look, Dad, I'm a big kid now. And he was riding around. He thought that he was at the top of the mountain. <laughs> That's what he thought. But of course, he was missing the point. He was wrong. Riding a bike without training wheels is where true freedom and greater joy is achieved in the life of a six-year-old, clearly. You may think right now that you are on the top of the mountain of your life. Maybe you are living life and you are loving life. You are thinking you are at the top of that mountain. But unless you are using your life and your gifts and your time to serve others, you're lying to yourself. As you serve the needs of others, as you put others first, you'll realize that it's like nourishment for your soul. It will give you greater freedom and greater joy because it is, in fact, what you were created to do. You were created to selflessly and sacrificially humble yourself in service to others. Your challenge now is to put that into action. Now, as I close, I want to tell you one final thing. Not only were you created to express God's unconditional love, you were also created to experience it. You were created to express it, but you were also created to experience it. Did you know that? God has unconditional love for you. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've strayed away, God still and will continue to love you. Have you experienced that love before? Have you decided to follow God in your life? Maybe you've never made that decision. Or maybe you have made that decision in the past, but, you know, you're kind of off the trail now. If that's you, whether you want to make that decision today for the first time, or maybe you want to rededicate your life today to God, I would love to pray for you. Now, I'd love for you to bow your heads with me and just agree with me in your head. Don't say anything out loud. Just agree with me in your mind if that's you today. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you sent your son down to die for us. God, we thank you for this free gift of salvation. I pray that you would make that love real to me today. I want to accept that love, and I want you to use that love to change me from the inside out. God, today I want to make a decision to follow you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. If you want to speak to a pastor or you have any prayer requests, you can text the number on your screen right now and someone will get back to you right away. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week.